The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. I'm Kolos, your advocate. Jonathan Archer. The tribunal's about to begin. We haven't even discussed what happened. I'm familiar with the charges. Well, I'm not familiar with your justice system. What can I expect out there? Now that you've been charged, the evidence against you will be presented. When do I get a chance to testify? Uh, I will conduct your defense. How can you do that when you haven't heard what really happened? I know what happened. You mustn't speak during the tribunal. I'll speak for you. Thursday, February 28, 2013. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. No, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. 519-661-3600 is always a number you can reach us here on Just Right on CHRW or email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. And today on the show, Robert, we are honored once again for the fourth time, no less, to have two guests join us, Mark and Connie Fournier from operas, or operators and owners still, I guess, of Free Dominion. Is that right? That's still, right. Still hanging in there, right? Yeah. And you guys have some travails to bring us up to date with. Lots, uh, of, new, lots of new news. So I guess our theme today is going to be courts, free speech, and human rights commissions and things like that. Very apropos, considering the decision yesterday of the Supreme yes. Court. Uh, but we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. I think for the, for the first part, what we want to do is bring the uh, listeners up to date on where Merrick and Connie are in their travails. I think we'll, most people will recall that they have been sued several times. They have court cases um, in the fire right now. And just so, in case they want to check, uh, on our own site, uh, their three previous mm-hmm. appearances show 50, 169, and 230. 230. So mm-hmm. you can check them out. And this is the continuing chapter of that story. <laughs> right. And because there are court cases ongoing, I'm going to have an overriding caveat here, and is that any charges or any allegations made during the show are just that, allegations until proven in a court of law. So with that, why don't you take it off, Mark Rakani, and, and fill us in on yeah, what, what your, your history to, to this point. Who's going to start? Okay, I'll go ahead. Uh, we've been running Free Dominion since uh, early 2001. Uh, we did fine until about 2005 when we, be- unknown to us, we became, uh, we were brought to the attention of the Human Rights Commission. It took two years before they finally got around to coming after us, but a uh, chart... Now, for those who don't know, Free Dominion is a website oh, yeah, that sorry. people 
come and converse on, right? Is that, yes, it's a forum, it's, a, a political uh, discussion forum. Forum. So people are posting their own comments there. This is not you guys posting daily. That's right. You, type of thing. You can register for free, mm -hmm. and uh, registration uh, allows you to then post your own comments. Right. And, uh, and importantly, you can register anonymously as well. Very importantly, a lot of uh, political discussion is has through history has uh, been anonymous, and uh, people feel safer. There's there's really two kinds of reasons for anonymity on, on the internet. One is to just be able to speak openly and not have to worry about your political opinions uh, affecting your work perhaps there's also uh, another reason which is deceit to uh, to do something you shouldn't be doing we don't of course support the deceit and ours is just to so people can speak freely mm -hmm. uh, we approach things from a conservative perspective uh, we're unapologetically conservative and the result of this is we've been targeted by the Human Rights Commission itself which a case that was eventually dropped, but uh, also by a previous employee and by, in general, the small group of people who think censorship is the way we should go. And a previous employee of the Human Rights of Commission. Of the Human Rights Commission. Right. And uh, so now we have a total of five lawsuits against us. Four of them are for defamation uh, in in provincial court of Ontario. One of them uh, for copyright is in the federal court. Why don't you go back and tell us about that copyright law because right now it's under appeal but you actually won that copyright law. Why don't you fill us in about that? Yes, the, the copyright lawsuit was filed after several other lawsuits had been filed and uh, because it was filed in the federal court we were looking at having to either hire another lawyer who is familiar with federal court or do it ourselves and so we decided to represent ourselves um, even knowing that it might mean that we had fools for clients <laughs> but um, since you won, that's obviously not the case. That's true. We we did win. Um, we had well, they had geniuses for lawyers. <laughs> I <think so. laughs> Instead of fools for clients. Right. <laughs> but we we had um, things that we had to do. Even a motion where they they tried to have um, things taken out of our evidence um, before it ever went to trial, and and uh, we went and fought that motion ourselves, and that was really nerve-wracking, but we we managed to, to win, and we were able to keep all of our evidence in, and uh, we, we felt like we had the law on our side. We, um, the things that they were complaining about, um, one of them was a, a picture that was, was hosted on Richard Warman's um, personal website, and somebody had used an image tag to link it so that it displayed on our site. Now, Richard Warman, of course, was the former uh, HRC employee, and he was also the, um, the, the litigant. He, he, yes, he, and, and he has sued us several other times for defamation as he well. Really so this is this the was face, piled on. Yeah, he really is the face of Section 13. Almost every Section 13 point, complaint was initiated. Section 13 Richard. of the Human Rights Act. Right, right the, which hate says, speech, the hate speech ah, provision. Yes. So we, this was new law. That, that's the thing about all of the cases that we're fighting is... Um, the law as applied to the internet is is really evolving and and so we get into all of these situations where where we're going in and saying um, this is this is the way it should be applied to the internet and and 
new laws evolving out of these suits. And that happened with the picture. Um, in the U.S., they had already decided that putting a link to a picture, even if it displayed on your your own site, was not a copyright violation. It wasn't publication. And, uh, and now that's decided in Canada as well. And uh, So and you're making history here. Yes, we're making but really foundational bedrock law. Good. The... the, the the image tag law that Connie just mentioned, that that will be bedrock law for generations. I don't believe anybody in Canada will again try to sue somebody for having a link on their site, because an image link, because that law is now established. Now, if I'm not mistaken, my reading of the judge's uh, decision, he, he pointed out that since uh, the complainant actually had that link on his website, he could not really claim that, um, in other words, he gave up his um, yeah, his rights it. to have it disseminated because he was obviously letting it be seen by anybody. Yeah, it was already published. Is that not right? That's correct, That's and correct. that was the point that we made. It would have been different if we had copied that picture mm -hmm. and put it on our server and displayed it from there, but we didn't do that. He, It was his server that actually published that picture and was it all an offensive did. picture is that why he was, oh, no. he was objecting no. to no, it, it was I, just I don't get this i don't even understand the nature of this whole thing this is i i would never in my life have thought that linking on anybody's site to anybody's site for a picture could get you into trouble well it shouldn't i mean most people it when they put stop, up so. a picture on their website, they put it up there because they want because they want to people see to see it. it. Yeah, so you're, you're you're directing people to their site. So what was I, the I don't get it. What was the it. It was just a picture of him posing in his his military uniform. Oh, okay. And uh, so that that was all it was. But his so it, it was his seen. server. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. On, many, on many levels. Yeah. But yeah, that that. All he, all we did is put up. Well, it wasn't even us. It was one of the members of Freedom and put up a link that displayed it, and so um, it was his server that was doing the communicating. So that's that's what the judge found, and and we believe that was right. But wasn't there um, more than one? It wasn't just this picture. There were other copyrighted uh, three part alleged infringements. Yeah, infringements. the the other one um, was a speech that uh, he gave to a group called Anti Racist Action. Um, it's been sort of shared around the internet. Uh, it was um, evidence in, in a couple of court hearings and a couple of tribunal hearings because he talks about um, how he um, fights his political enemies and, and, and using tribunals and courts and, and that sort of thing. Um, that was put up on Free Dominion probably in about 2008 and so the judge found that that was time barred and oh. he, he waited too long to to say that uh, he he wanted to accuse us of uh, copyright violation. Well, was it three years is the time is it? Or? I can't remember two off the top of my head yeah. if it's two or three but yeah. I think it's three. Yeah. I but think there, so. really, there were a lot of issues that revolved around this case because the copyright of the maximum disruption, or the copy of the uh, maximum disruption speech we put up, was a court document. It was a, a PDF of a court document in which so the, public. the content, yes, mm -hmm. of the content of the speech appeared. the uh, The second charge of, of copyright infringement was uh, over a piece that was written by Jonathan Kay in the National Post. We, no, I think that one we discussed on the show before, but refresh yes, us again on yes, that one. Yes. Uh, it was. I actually wrote an article, and John Jonathan Kay 
and Ezra Lant and some other people uh, all reproduced it in, in one fashion or another, and Richard Warman sued a lot of people over it. But he he sued Jonathan Kay and the National Post over it. They, by default, buckled. And uh, first he went to them and told them, uh, you must do all the standard things. You must apologize. You must retract. You must take it down. And if you don't, I'm going to sue you. So within hours, they did, met every one of his demands, and then he sued them anyhow. Mm-hmm. And but it didn't he end up buying the copyright to the no, article? No, he, he didn't buy it. Uh, after he officially sued them, they went into some kind of private confidential uh, uh, settlement, and they reached a settlement with each other. But immediately it's obvious that part of that settlement included that Richard Warman got distributional control over the article that uh, Jonathan Kay had written that mm-hmm. was at issue. So he therefore could sue for copyright somebody who he believed was uh, who was actually violating the copyright. We had reproduced that letter on Free Dominion. Not in its entirety, though. Yes. Originally, or, or the article. Originally, we had posted it in its entirety. Uh, he came to us and said, I now have copyright control. You have to take that down. Normally, we wouldn't do it, but we did. We, we took the article down, and we replaced the salient points of it with... Uh, excerpts from Richard Warman's actual statement of claim so that we could explain, you know, the audience, mm-hmm. anybody reading this would understand what, what about. we're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they were excerpts from another public document, but still he sued us for putting up the excerpts of a, of a public document. And the judge, rightly, said that that was not enough to infringe on the copyright. The upshot was the judge, just four square was behind our position on all three uh instances that we were being sued for the ruling that came down was strong it was powerful it was good it was lauded by the legal community across canada by uh law professors some of the best legal minds in the country were were applauding the judge for that decision so Richard Warren the reason appealed. is because um, the decision had to do with fair dealing and how mm-hmm. much of an article you're allowed to produce and still have it considered fair dealing and um, the the people who are are behind the 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 copyright people who who want to really enforce copyright law would would have it that if you reproduce the title of an article you had violated copyright law and um, and this judge was very good. He talked about um, doing a qualitative analysis instead of a quantitative analysis. And he said that the points that were reproduced on Free Dominion were just the um, the basic facts and and not really the the creative part or the the part that mm. that Jonathan Kay had had written with his own creativity. And so that's why he said that uh, that fair dealing applied to it. And uh, so that is actually really important. Um, we didn't even recognize how important it was until the the decision came down, and and all of these people who are into copyright were were writing about it and saying that uh, that universities in particular will be very happy with this because they've they've been fighting against uh, access copyright and and them wanting students to pay for for just using tiny parts of mm-hmm. books and stuff like that so so it is important yeah we weren't aware that aspect of the debate was even going on and and it turns out we've helped in that regard because there was a debate within the universities themselves should we pay this access uh charge and most universities had buckled it but the uh, counter argument was saying you don't have to do this why are you doing this and now this settled it this is under appeal yes, yes. 
What is the basis of the appeal, do you know? Well, um, one of the, the things that they're saying is that um, that when something is posted on the internet, it should be subject to what they call continuous publication. So that means that if you put something up on the internet three years ago, um, and somebody wants to come after you three or four years down the road, they can because because it was on the internet, it's republished every day, mm-hmm. which every second of every day. That's right. Yeah, and uh, so anyway, that that's a fight that we're going to have to have down the road. But well, I, that's that's absurd it's because that would that's like saying this piece of paper in front of me is published yesterday, today, tomorrow, every day it exists. It's been published. That's right. The or best if I look absurdity. at it, it's republished. Right. Yes, the best right. analogy I'd, I've thought of is. A, a magazine in a doctor's office. Mm-hmm. This would yes. be like saying, walking into a doctor's office and saying, you have this magazine, you're republishing defamatory words, I'm going to sue you, Mr. Doctor. Or if somebody takes a photo of a piece of art, hangs it up on a public wall, and it's there for more than three years, it's saying that it's continually being published. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. And so what, what they're trying <laughs> to do, and, and actually they've gotten away with this in, in several cases uh, with defamation law, but um, it hasn't really come up in, in regards to copyright law in Canada at this point. But um, our position is that it shouldn't come up in this case because they didn't raise that argument in the lower court. And if we had had the opportunity to present hmm. evidence on that, we could have and uh, and we didn't have the opportunity. So so we're saying that a decision that important shouldn't be made. Excellent. Well, we're going to take a quick break now. Our next soundbite featured on this side of the bumper will feature Ezra Levant, believe it or not, sitting in front of the Human Rights Commissioner when he was first there over the, the complaint, expressing his contempt for the Human Rights Commission. This is from his own uh, videotape that he had made when he was there. And on the other side of the bumper, we'll be hearing Ezra in conversation with Michael Corrin from a 2010 broadcast on free speech issues. And then in our studio, we will continue with our conversation with Mark and Connie Fournier of Free Dominion right after this. Information I have written investigation reports that say a lot of what you're saying, just for your interests. And we we do find on both sides. What you're saying, what you just said, is not true. No, I have written reports that say that. Well, the reports, and then they go on to convictions. Did no, you, not, not were, always. No, were you in the bizarre case? Dismissing it. Yes, I was. So, so you you I were wrote, part of you, you I were didn't part of that. Write that. I did not. I wrote an opposite view. Well. Uh, when things go to panel, they can go either way. But in any case, just to let you know that things can go either way. Okay? Well, for the legal record, I published these for the most offensive reasons. And I'll leave it to your imagination. Well, that is the test that we look at as well in Section 3 under the various case law, the R versus Taylor Supreme Court the definitions of contempt and hatred and whatnot. You know, some th- things can be, ex- oh, sorry, let me, be extremely... Let me be clear. My contempt is for the Human Rights Commission. No, I'm not saying that. I'm talking no, about that, that's, how we analyze sexual My contempt cases. is very deep for the Human Rights Commission. In the 
1930s, they actually had book burnings. We've all probably seen the picture of the Nazis throwing uh, forbidden Jewish books onto a big inferno. Mm. In the 21st century, we don't do anything so sooty and messy. We just ban internet sites and we ban people from saying things. The reverend in uh, uh, Alberta a few weeks ago was banned from giving public sermons, banned from writing private emails. So we're not as messy as the Nazis were. I, I think that my book will be published because we still have a lot of freedoms. There's a mm. great reservoir in this country, a, a, an instinctive understanding that freedom is good. That's our Canadian way. But there's a lot of folks out there that would censor ideas that they find distasteful instead of rebutting it, would, uh, rebutting them, which is the proper response. So apparently, according to Ezra, and I think I agree with this, the modern day equivalent of book burning is banning websites. That's a, I, that was a good analogy, actually. Yeah. And, and, you know, when the commissioner was telling him there, well, our decision can go either way, as if that should make him feel better to know that his freedom of speech is in somebody else's hands, mm -hmm. right? Um, that wouldn't have made me feel any better, and he was being kind to her. Um, I think he got away with actually expressing his contempt for the for the Human Rights Commission. I don't think as was a lawyer, if he was a lawyer, he couldn't have done that. And I was in the same situation when I defended Elijah Eliev before the Ontario Human Rights Commission. I actually held the process in contempt, and I was told the only reason they kept me there was because I wasn't a lawyer. And I finished the defense based on that, and we won. So there's, a, there's some big loopholes in this whole system, to say the least. And uh, um, I don't know, Robert, did, did I interrupt your, <laughs> the rest of your point? No, I uh, think we've made the point. I, uh, what we should do now, perhaps, is move on to some of the other cases mm -hmm. that are before the courts. How about the Baglow uh, case? Do you want to go into that and tell us a That's bit, a bit about one. that one? Yeah. I'll, I'll start that one. The way it began was uh, John Baglow, who's a left-wing blogger, got into an argument uh, concerning the Taliban with uh, a member of Free Dominion. The argument didn't start at Free Dominion. It started at another website, and it moved around the Internet, actually. They ch these two characters chased, <laughs> chased each other each around other different from website websites, to website. with them carrying their fight with them. Uh, it eventually ended up at Free Dominion. And, uh, now, that's interesting in and of itself. You know, that, that, that tells me, what, do you guys have a freer policy than other sites, or are they just moving around because it was convenient or, or because they were being chased away? Or uh, I think it was mostly just... Uh, they feel freer on your site yeah, than anywhere else. Yeah, partly, but uh, it, it was fairly easy for them to go around from site to site and, and mm -hmm. carry their argument with them. But when it got to our site, like uh, on... Part of it went on John went on about John Baglow's site, it's his own site that he controls all content, and uh, Peter O'Donnell uh, told him he was guilty of treason and he was a traitor and and it, I mean the usual internet hyperbole <laughs> yeah. and uh, and it didn't bother John Baglow in the least. He left all that up on his own website, but it, the fight came to our website and. Uh, Peter O'Donnell said, Dr. Dog, to one alias accusing another alias of being one of the Taliban's most vocal supporters. Well, John Baglow figured that was, uh, it was time to sue the Fourniers. So he did, and he sued us over the comment that uh, Peter O'Donnell made. Because somebody defamed his screen name. Because, uh, yeah, one person's screen name. Dr. Dog. Yeah, <laughs> was offended by another person, Peter O'Donnell, which is also a screen name. This is just absurd. This is just oh, getting into the realm of fairyland stuff here. Absolutely. This is just so shake-your-head bizarre. It gets worse. Oh, yeah, it gets much worse. <laughs> then, of course. Why not? Because, we live in Canada. <laughs> because it was one alias 
defaming another alias, supposedly defaming another alias, the losses you can't, you just couldn't get away with filing a lawsuit with, like that because there's no real people, identifiable people involved. So uh, John Baglow had an alias, another alias that he used at Free Dominion called Ms. Mew. And he logged in as Ms. Mew and said, John Baglow should sue you people for saying this. Well, what he's done is planted evidence that ties his real name to Dr. Dog, and then therefore he was able to legally sue us. Now, is this a statement of fact? There's oh, no yes, question about a, that? Yeah, no question. He's admitted that. Yeah, he's admitted it. Well, first he spent two weeks lying and saying he wasn't Ms. Mew. And then finally, when he knew it was just too widely known that he was, he changed his story and admitted, well, I was Ms. Mew. But, but it doesn't matter because I'm suing them anyhow. So we went to court, <laughs> and uh, this went on for a year anyhow. And uh, we went to court, and we put forth a motion to dismiss because it was just a nonsense, frivolous lawsuit. And the judge completely agreed with us and uh, dismissed it. We brought up a lot of bigger issues, too, about fr freedom of speech and a variety of, of issues. And uh, the judge ruled in our favor and dismissed the action, uh, gave us costs, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, But then John Baglow appealed. And it wasn't that he was appealing the decision whether or not he was uh, he had been defamed. He was appealing that it shouldn't have been decided in a motion to dismiss, that he had been treated unjustly because he didn't have a chance to have a full-blown trial over this. So he's going for the technicality. Well, the appeals sort. court listened to it, and they actually ended up agreeing with John Baglow because they weren't saying that the ruling that we had committed no defamation was wrong. They were just saying that the issues that this brought forth was so important that they shouldn't be decided by a summary dismissal. So I, I really had the sense, they didn't come actually out and say it, but I really had the sense that the, the appeals judges were saying there's nothing wrong with the ruling, but the law is so important we want teeth behind it. And that could only be given by a full-blown trial. So we have to go back now to the lower court and fight it again. They asked for expert evidence and, and stuff like that as well because they, they admitted that they don't really understand how defamation law should be applied to the Internet. Um, they, they do understand that when something is written by somebody anonymously on the Internet, it's not equivalent to an editorial in, in a national newspaper. You know, there's, there's a huge difference there. And uh, that's one of the things that, that we have to talk about. And... Um, and that is that uh, defamation law should be applied differently to the Internet. What's the difference? Well, the difference is that defamation law was originally intended to protect the little guy from the big newspaper that has barrels of ink, right? And so if, if a newspaper wrote something defamatory about you, you could sue that newspaper to get regain your reputation. And so it was to protect the little guy from the big guy. But what's happening now is... You've got these just average, normal people in their house, on their computer, having conversations with their friends on, on blogs and forums. And then you've got the people with the money who are watching this and saying, well, I don't like that, so I'm going to sue that person. So all of a sudden now, it's, it's the people with the money and the power 
that are using defamation law as a weapon instead of as a shield. As a weapon to do what? To to keep you quiet or yes. to get money out of you? Both. Both. <laughs> Both. There's, there's because, such... I mean, if you didn't have money, what would be the point in um, going after you? If, if the person who's writing it, who would ever be sued if they were poor? Libel chill. That's, well, that's, that's, that, that's and it is actually happening. I mean, people are a lot more careful about what they write on the internet now um, because they are self-censoring, because they're, they're afraid. And that's very damaging for political discourse. Um, you have to be able to talk about uh, politicians and, and public figures when you're going to have a discussion about politics. What a great point to make at the bottom of the hour of, as we have to go to our, our next break because um, the next two voices you're going to be hearing as we break away for the bottom of the hour are those are those of two ladies who have both appeared on this show live. The first is that of author and broadcast journalist Christine Williams while the second is that of Ann Coulter, best-selling author of dozens of anti-liberalish type of books <laughs> south of the border, who was being interviewed by Christine down in California back in January 2011. And then we'll hear Christine joined back in he here in Canada by another familiar voice, also heard live on this show, Paul McKeever, who has been both a guest and coast host, and Hussein Hunandi, North American Spiritual Revival, who get together to talk about Ann Coulter and freedom of speech. Then on the other side of the break, we shall return with our guests, Mark and Connie Fournier, whose free dominion is struggling to maintain the free part. We'll be back after this. Now, you call the left a religion. Why is that? Yes. Um, I mean, they have all of the tropes, the attributes of a religion, the intolerance of another point of view, the belief in things on faith. I mean, take gun control. How many times do we have to disprove that? How many studies have to be run for an accounting that allows the law-abiding to own guns, suddenly crime rates declines and you know a surrounding county there was the famous Gunnison Georgia that was the first one where it was demonstrated John Lott ran the numbers going over many many decades of many many counties I think it was it may have been could it have been every county in the US but it, it is a huge study how many times do we have to prove this and still liberals as a matter of faith no gun control we must have gun control <laughs> The controversial land culture and the issue of free speech. Joining me now in the studio to discuss the issues of free speech. Paul McKeever, a lawyer and leader of the Freedom Party of Ontario. And Hussein Hamdani, also a lawyer and representative of the group North American Spiritual Revival. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you, Christine. Thank you. First of all, let's start out with your commentary on what you heard about Ann Coulter, knowing how controversial she is. Well, you know, when she says the left is like a religion, uh, I can really associate. That's absolutely correct. The, the left, particularly when they engage in censorship against her, you know, right here in Ottawa, they all across in, in numerous uh, venues, she faced opposition from students trying to shut her down before she could open her mouth. Now, one can say what they want about whether they agree or disagree with her. But the effort to censor a person is the effort ultimately to attack reason, to attack morality itself. Uh, the left, also known as the multiculturalists, that's who she's ultimately facing, are attempting to replace uh, the belief that people can know and judge with the idea that only government should know and judge. Hussein? Well, I agree partly to, to the idea that we can't silence somebody because we disagree with them or find their views offensive, and I, for the record, find her views offensive, especially when she's discussing the Muslim community. 
To me, I see her as an entrepreneur, to be honest. She says bombastic statements from time to time in order to put herself uh, in the public light so that she can sell her books. Even in your interview with her, she mentioned her books maybe a dozen times. I mean, what she's trying to do is try to invite people to, to purchase her, her stuff, and she knows that to, to do that, she needs to say stupid things from time to time that, uh, that will invite controversy and therefore uh, bring her books to, to the public for. Yes, well, go ahead. You know, ridicule, though, sometimes can, can lead to truth. Uh, you know, if someone's proposing something that's false or indefensible, uh, sometimes you will not get to a reason debate before you first start casting the insults. And if she uses, you know, she casts aspersions, if she puts people in an unflattering light, um, that will sometimes, you know, start the real debate. Um, once you break the ice, once you say that, look, I'm not going to hold your beliefs or what have you sacred, I'm going to say everything's on the table, everything will be on the table. The evidence against Hauptmann proves his guilt. Hochstetter, we must think of appearances. We do not treat a national hero like a common criminal. Who's defending Hauptmann? Whoever you pick to defend him. I'm the prosecutor. I cannot appoint a defense counsel. You should know that. I am the Gestapo. What do I know about law? <laughs> Why not ask one of your staff to handle the defense? No officer on my staff would oppose me. They'd be afraid of offending me in some way. Why, General? You are a fair man. No, I'm not. I'm also easily offended. What I have to do is find somebody who already offends me. May I come in? I think I just found him. Easily offended. Apparently, a lot of people in this country are easily offended. Now, to get on with the cases against Mark and Connie Fournier in freedominion.ca, there's yet another one that we want to talk about, and that's coming up in September. Who wants to tell us about that? Mark, Connie? Okay. Um, well, we have three trials coming up this year. Um, no, so we've talked trials, about two not, of them. Not, court not trials. Rights commissions. That's right. right. Okay. And so one of them is the appeal of the copyright. Um, that'll be coming up in the spring. The other one is the Baglow one that we just talked about, and that will probably be the end of the year. And then the September one, is the long-awaited uh, Richard Warman versus Free Dominion and John Doe's case. Um, this is booked for September. It's going to be a three-week-long trial. We're actually going to have to go and stay in Ottawa for three weeks while this trial takes place. And one of the reasons that it is so long is because he sued over so many things. Um, there are all kinds of, of issues of, of people uh, alleging that he did certain things at certain times. And, and so there's all of this evidence that has to come out. And we have a jury, which we're really pleased about because I think that uh, a, a jury of your peers is, is superior in cases like this. Because and that's unusual compared to all the prosecutions you've gone through in the past, right? Yeah. Of course, it's yeah. in Ottawa. Are you going to find any conservatives in Ottawa? <laughs> oh, there are conservatives in Ottawa. <laughs> yeah, there, there, once you quite step a few up conservative. Hill, there's quite a few of them. Yeah. <laughs> 
But um, I wouldn't include Stephen Harper in that. <laughs> no, but but they don't have to be conservative to look at the the facts and and figure out um, somebody's reputation. And and defamation trials are about reputation, and and that's what we have going for us in this that. All of the evidence is going to be examined and a jury is going to decide whether his reputation was good to begin with and and whether it was damaged by anything that anybody said on our site and uh, and and how much damage might have been done if, if, if anything was done. And so in a way, he's going to be defending his own record. Um, in this in this hearing, as much as as we're defending the the comments that were posted on Free Dominion, and and I think that that's going to be very very interesting because he's never been in that position before where well, he'll be cross examined, etc. You're there to defend the comments that are posted on your site, but you didn't make those comments. Most of them right? we Most didn't. Of them, a couple of them we did. Okay. But even so, what about the other ones that you didn't? Aren't the people who posted them, shouldn't they be at the trial, or are they going to be there? Some of them will be. Ah, um, there okay. were there were quite a number of comments that were in that statement of claim that were made by, by people who won't even be there because they were never named. Um, he did name eight John Doe's. Um, he has discovered the identity of six of them at this point. There are still two that are anonymous. Um, they have to be dropped from the claim by March 31st if he doesn't figure out who they are. Um, but we're being held responsible for all of them. So even though the there are John Doe's who will be there and they'll be defending themselves, we are also being held responsible for those, those posts that they made, plus the ones that other people made. And I guess that's what makes this entirely interesting to Bob and I, and to anybody out there listening, is that it's not necessarily the comments against the complainant. What's happening is that you have an, inter an internet site owner being held responsible for what millions of people are putting on their site. You actually have literally millions of comments on that yes. site. How can you police such a thing? It's, it's absolutely It's like impossible. holding Bell Canada or Rogers guilty for every co telephone conversation that takes place over exactly. their, their right. wiring system. That's like, one of the most uh, important things about this case is in America, forum owners have protection. Uh, the, the people are responsible for their own words. You're, you're, it doesn't work like that here. Yeah, the mailman yeah. or the anybody who's carrying the message isn't necessarily responsible. That's right. There could be rare cases, I admit, but I don't see that as an ongoing thing. And if this is allowed to stand, it'll be impossible for any Canadian to own to own a forum or a blog that allows public comments because you every forum or blog owner then becomes responsible for everything that's said on his site. And as you said, we have 1.7 million comments. It's impossible for us to monitor them. But even if we were able to monitor them, we would have to be brilliant lawyers and vet every single comment and do it right every time. And it, that's just, to put that burden on forum owners makes it impossible. If Free Dominion goes down because of these lawsuits, nobody will step up to replace and it. And that's another point that, I, that intrigues me and why we have you here as well, is because of the one-sided nature of these kinds of attacks. And is it against conservative um, websites? Or Christian. Or Christian. Yes. Those, those, are the two, those are the two target zones and never seen anywhere else being That's right. targeted. That's right. As a matter of fact, there are uh, liberal, if you want to be progressive, I don't like using the word liberal because that is a, a positive word, 
taken over and usurped by um, Marxists. But um, there are left-wing websites out there, like, for example, Rabble. And uh, I've never heard of any lawsuits against them. Of course, they're on the, the, the side of the, the law, well, uh, these part, bizarre laws. Part of the reason for that is just the ethics of the people involved. We, we have been horribly defamed. We've been called the worst names you can think of in ways that are very actionable that we could sue people, but we haven't because our morals and ethics say that as conservatives that we should be, be able to enter the marketplace of ideas and fight it out. Mm -hmm. We don't need to go to the court to silence people. Excellent point, Mark. The, yeah. the people on the other side of the equation think completely different. Rather than even try to fight it out, they just want to silence. And it's, it's the that's, same that's the way it's always been. Yes, it, and it's the same group that's supportive of Section 13 and our thought crimes legislation and our censorship law. It's the now, same people. You're you go you're going to court. People post things to your site. Is truth a criteria in anything of what they post, or is it all about whose feelings got hurt? Because I'm I'm hearing more and more truth is going to be less and less of a defense if someone's feelings have been hurt, whether intended or not. That was almost what the court decision that came up just the other day says. It did. But but I can I can cite infinite numbers of falsehoods printed in ordinary daily newspapers, right? As far as inaccurate facts. But it doesn't hurt anybody's feeling, perhaps. <laughs> and maybe that's why nobody's bothering them. What's the criteria? If you were if you were supposed to watch all these millions of, of people posting, what are you supposed to be looking for? And how do you know if they're hurting someone's feelings or if they're even posting something that's true that you might not have direct knowledge of. What do you, how do you even possibly you approach that? You can't. Truth is a criteria in real court, and that's okay, that's, that's going to be Good. his Achilles heel <laughs> in September because we, we can prove a lot of the, the facts that the comments were based on. Um, but but the problem is, you've made a very good point that, that when you run an internet forum or a blog, most people do it as a hobby. And, and you just don't have the time to, to try to dig into every single comment that somebody might complain about. So what you would do is just delete on demand. And so if somebody contacted you, then you know they're going to sue you, so you just delete the comment. And it has a horrible chilling effect on, on freedom of speech. But if somebody sues you for defamation, you might be right, but you have to go through that whole process to get yourself in front of a judge to prove that you're right. And it costs tens of thousands of dollars to get there. And nobody's going to want to do that. And that's why it's so important for us to nip this in the bud and, and try to get a law that will protect people who allow comments. If this is allowed to go on and you lose this case... Um, if this was in the United States, there would be no Facebook, there would be no Twitter, there would be no social media whatsoever. I go onto Facebook and I see a lot of examples of, uh, for example, memes. They'd show a picture, uh, there's one going around of Bill Cosby with uh, an apparent quote from Bill Cosby um, saying things of a rather conservative nature. And of course, he didn't say them. But people take it as fact and say, oh, look what Bill Cosby said. That's not the case. Now, if he could go to a court and say, this is defamation, Facebook should be sued, the person who po everybody who posted that and shared it should be sued, uh, Facebook would not exist. It could not exist. And so I, th I would hope that the, the courts in Canada take that into consideration, the nature of the Internet versus, for example, the nature of a newspaper. Completely different media. And that's what I think that you're trying to, to, to tell us as well, is that you've got two different kinds of worlds here. 
between, right. say, like a, a media of a newspaper and the media of well, an open internet. The problem with the internet, too, is that it, it crosses both. Newspapers are also on the internet as well as individual mm-hmm. conversations. So mm-hmm. you have that problem there. The media, the, yeah. the, the, the medium itself isn't the issue. Although I, I, would, I, would, I would say that still you cannot defame people. Even on the sure, internet, I agree. On, on a website or whatever, you should not be able to defame people. But you have to target the person who's making the defamation, not killing the messenger. But you have right of reply on the internet, and I think that's that's a, a very important point. That if somebody says something about you on the internet, most of the time you can go to the exact same forum or blog, register as yourself, and counter that. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't want to be bothered doing that. Instead, they want to use the courts to to settle these disputes. But people are not stupid. People read things on the internet, and they take it with a grain of salt unless there are facts to back it up. First thing they'll say is, where's the link? Where's the link? Yep. Show, show me your proof for, for what you just said. And if there is no truth to it, it quickly dies. Mm-hmm. And backfires on, on the speaker. If I, sure, it kills his credibility. Yeah, if, exactly. I say, if I say some public figure is a, is a car thief, the first post that's going to be replied is, where's the link? Mm-hmm. When I can't produce that link... Not only is the person vindicated who I'd accused of being a car thief, but I look like a moron for making the the accusation in the first place. So the internet basically self-correcting. That's the word I was going to use. There's there's a feedback mechanism there to redress anything almost immediately. Just like the marketplace. It's it's a free market all the time, right? And it's the same people who are the enemies of the free market, Mm -hmm. who are the enemies of freedom of speech. To step back to what you were just mentioning uh, about them treating the internet differently than uh, other publications. That's part of in the Baglow appeal where the the court asked us, uh, they admitted that they didn't know what they were talking about. They didn't understand what they should do. When they first when we first lost that appeal, to a degree, we were crushed because now we got to fight this whole thing again. But we click, quickly realized that we had been handed a golden opportunity. How often does the court ask the people to educate them? Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. So we've actually jumped out it with both feet, and uh, we've gotten experts that are coming in. We've got interveners that are coming in. Uh, we're taking this very seriously, and, and we're hoping and praying when it's all said and done that the law will be better in Canada before we encountered it. We're going to take a little break, mm-hmm. and when we come back, let's talk about generalities, and specifically in this general discussion. We'll talk about the Supreme Court of Canada's decision of yesterday and free speech. So, we'll be right back. I told you to remain silent. You should have listened to me. Sorry if I interfered with your legal strategy. My strategy may yet spare your life. I've spoken with the magistrate. He's willing to show you mercy if you cooperate. Let's say I did cooperate. What would happen to these people? They would be charged with treason and end up in a court like this one tell the magistrate I'm going to pass on his offer don't be so quick to accuse me of sharing their interpretation of the law no what's your interpretation I became an advocate many years ago they were different times better or worse The courts were more willing to listen. Then maybe you should remind them of those different times. 
Nothing like a good history lesson. I get the feeling you're as frustrated as I am. That you want to stand up to them. But you've given up. You're afraid of them. I'm not afraid. Then prove it. Challenge them. Show them what a real trial is like. You're a fool. You're welcome. Haven't you learned your lesson? This is why you were sent here in the first place. For interfering in affairs that have nothing to do with you. We have a saying on Earth. You don't kick a man when he's down. So, are all humans like this? Like what? Fair? Stupid. It's in our nature. Stand up. We have work to do. <laughs> that last audio bite from Star Trek Enterprise so much reminded me of a comment made by Michael Corrin at Freedom Party's Three R's dinner this past October, Robert. Uh, remember he concluded his speech to the audience, which, by the way, you can see on Freedom Party's YouTube channel, with the following, perhaps not so optimistic thought. He said... Am I brave? No, just very stupid. But what I really mean is I'm very conscious that my kids have to live in the world that I leave behind. And unless we change the path now, I'm not going to die a happy man. And we were talking about issues very similar to this. And, you know, in, in the context of that, what keeps you going? Like, you know, you, you guys have been at this for quite a while, and a lot of people would have quit long before you guys did. What, what is it that really keeps you going? Well, that's one of the things. <laughs> you know, we, we look at our kids, and, and we think about the world that they have to live in, and, and we see them losing their rights and, and freedom of speech being eroded, and, and it scares us. Mm. And and then we we also see the, the people that have been suffering because of this, and... and um, can't help but feel compassion for them and feel like if we're in a position where we can stand up, then then it's our duty to. I mean, our ancestors had to go and be shot at in order mm -hmm. to stand up for their freedom. Well, I'm 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 just absolutely amazed that uh, you know that you've been coming back here for so many years about the same issue. But Robert, carry on. You had some questions. Well, let's talk about the Supreme Court of mm -hmm. Canada decision of yesterday, where um, you were actually peripherally involved in that. You want to talk about how you actually got involved with the Watcott case? Yeah, this was almost before the fact, but uh, one of Bill Watcott used to be a member of Free Dominion. He was a member for about two years. Uh, he was a really divisive force in the forum, and which ultimately we did have to ban him after two years. But before he was banned, he had been handing out his now notorious flyers, and he had mentioned that he, he had. Uh, he had was handing out his flyers, and uh, he had put on one of the flyers that uh, if you want more information, go to the thread he had begun at Free Dominion. 
And he had begun a thread at Free Dominion uh, where he had put a link to his flyer that was a digital version that was hosted on another site. Uh, the thread itself wasn't really a thread where he was trying to convince people that his arguments were right, where he was presenting his arguments and saying that my arguments are right. He was, it was just a really an announcement thread saying, I am handing out these flyers in Saskatchewan on this certain date. So it was an activism thread, but we didn't participate in the thread, I, I don't believe. But that was the thread that uh, the human rights complaint against us sprung from. The human rights complaint against us was really about having a link on our website. Because and the Human Rights Commission at the time actually had to try to find someone to complain about that link, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, well... I think it was really serendipitous. Uh, we found out later that they had actually begun investigating us before this even went on. They've never been. They've never admitted why, but they were already. We were in their gun sights. Could it be because you're conservative? Oh, I certainly <laughs> think so. <laughs> certainly, that was that was a role. But they were running at that time. They were running out of people to to call haters because frankly there's not that many of them in Canada. Well, not. Canadians were nice. We're Canadians. Yeah, we're nice. I mean, have you ever been to a, polit a political event and had somebody come up to you and say, "Hey, come join the National Socialist Party?" Or have you ever heard somebody say, "Oh, I was in the pub the other day and another bunch of those Nazis came in and wanted me to join the National Socialist Party?" You just you don't see it. It's in, not in happening. So they were running out of people to to attack, but they didn't want to shut down their operations, so they began to broaden their horizons. It turns out, though, at the end of it, um, they uh, they dropped that whole thing, didn't they? It not they didn't drop it. The complainant dropped. The complainant dropped it. it yeah. And uh, we've learned from Freedom of Information uh, releases what had happened was she went in and complained to, to the national, the Canadian Human Rights Commission, about a pamphlet that Bill Watcott handed her in Saskatchewan. They told her that. We, this isn't our jurisdiction. You have to go to the provincial to, uh, to complain about this. But because Free Dominion had a link on their site, why don't you instead of complaining about Bill Whatcott, the guy you're actually mad at, and instead complain against Free Dominion? I believe that they duped her. And so she said, well, okay, you guys are the pros. You know, I'll, okay, I'll complain about Free Dominion instead. She didn't know who we were. She had no axe to grind about us, no opinion about us. She had never been to our website. This is exactly how the Human Rights Commission operated here when they sought a complainant to... to complain against Elijah Eliot. Yes. Yeah. You know? So, so it's the same thing. Time, they set up an artificial date uh, for the middle of July of 2007 where uh, we had to have our reply in by then, but they never notified us that this complaint even exists. We think it might have been a glitch in their paperwork, just mm. a clerical error, but we had no idea. So the day after close of business on the deadline, we received our notification that you an hour ago you were supposed to have fully filed your defense. Hmm. Ultimately, to, uh, the complainant dropped it. And so what do you think, then, of this recent Supreme Court of Canada decision, which I think is probably one of the most monumental assaults on free speech in this country that we could have ever faced, um, basically identifying, uh, uh, supporting uh, the hate speech laws in this country? What do you think of that? I think that we need to look to our politicians for a solution. Um, they they did have a private member's bill um, to repeal Section 13 of the Canadian Human Rights Act that passed Parliament, and now it's sitting in the Senate. And uh, and we we know that uh, Stephen Harper 
filled the Senate with uh, conservative senators. So, you know, basically all he would have to do is say, get this thing through. But we have a really bad feeling that it's it's going to die there. And uh, so we have to look to them to do something because the courts aren't going to. This is in the hands now of our legislators. It's in their control. The, go- the court has backed down and will not do what's right, so now it must be our government's elected mm. officials. Well, you know, I don't hold much animosity towards the court. I mean, uh, it was a unanimous decision, and I think they're just interpreting the law the way they see it. The law, uh, the Section 1 of the Constitution, which says basically you have all these rights, which can be demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society, uh, those kinds of words, wishy-washy words, leave so much interpretation open to the courts, they're just doing their, their job in that sense. I hold... Stephen Harper and the Conservatives, the sitting government. If it's not Stephen Harper, then whoever it is next time, I hold their feet to the fire because with a stroke of a pen, they can repeal uh, or, or get rid of human rights commissions, Absolutely. human rights tri- tribunals, yes. like these kangaroo courts. Same way they were created. Exactly. Yes. With a stroke of the pen. That's legislation yes, they, that they made that they can get rid of. They, I could easily see them coming forth with the argument now that, well, the Supreme Court has unanimously decided that these are constitutional, so we're, we're going to leave them alone. But the, the gun registry was uh, constitutional, and they got rid of it. That's right. There's nothing stopping them except for political will. Two minutes left. Anything else you guys want to say? Well, we mentioned that we've got three trials coming up this year. And uh, so we started our biggest fundraiser yet. We're trying to raise $50,000 because we have to pay for our lawyer for three weeks in in Ottawa and and everything that's involved with that. Um, So we have a banner ad up on our website that leads directly to the the fundraiser. And if anybody can help us, I think that would be just awesome because I really think the powers would be... The powers that be are going to be watching this. Mm. They're they're going to see, you know, we're fighting the face of Section 13, so they're going to want to see if we still have the will to keep fighting. So, I, Where would they go to get this link then again? Freedominion.ca. Okay. There's a banner on the very top of the page, and if you click that, you can go right there. And, and of course, if anybody wants to contribute to the complainants, line up. <laughs> free to do that, too. Yeah, I think it's, it's a in, short line. It's the Indiegogo <laughs> website where uh, we're actually hosting the... the the uh, fundraiser, mm-hmm. so it can be accessed from there. I've well. actually contributed uh, in the past on Indiegogo. It's a very simple process, and uh, if anybody wants to do that, freedominion.ca is the site to start with. Uh, from there, you can follow the process. We're, we're almost out of time, but before mm-hmm. we go, um, I'd like to thank Connie and Mark for coming in and for the for doing the fighting that fighting that they have to do to Still, uh, yeah. To defend freedom of speech in this in this country, and uh, there's an event I also want to uh, let people know about there in London uh, tonight at 6:30. There's going to be a book signing by um, Sun Media uh, journalist and, and and TV show host Brian Lilly. He's coming into town today and uh, be signing his book CBC Exposed. Mm. Another fun topic that I'd like to get into, and we've talked about on this show before, the CBC. Fascinating book. I gave it a listen, uh, or gave it a, uh, a read yesterday, and uh, it was a good uh, good book. So 6.30 tonight at Lamplighter Inn on Wellington Road if you want to meet Brian Lilly. That's Excellent. it, Bob. We'll see you there. Gone for another week. Thanks for joining us, guys. We'll continue our journey in the right direction next week. Until then, you know what to do. See you then. Fade into color Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Remember, gentlemen, a technicality can be the difference between winning and losing. Now, take the case 
of Kunkel versus Bargenbeiter. <laughs> Let us stick to the case of the people versus Hugo Hauptmann. Hmm? You are going to a great deal of work, which indicates some legal maneuver. I would say you are pleading temporary insanity. I never stood to legal trickery. I intend to prove that Colonel Hugo Hauptmann is innocent. Innocent? We have absolute proof in those recorded telephone calls. Hearsay evidence? What do you mean, hearsay? Well, that depends on what you hear him say. 